Nexus PMG welcomes you to the Bigger Than Us podcast, which we as energy geeks lovingly refer to as the BTU. Bigger Than Us is a podcast that focuses on ideas that will shape the future of our planet and ultimately our existence. We will occasionally lean into energy topics because after all, it's the key to our collective survival, but we'll also explore other ideas and topics that we believe will have an impact that is bigger than us. And now, on to today's show. Hello and welcome to the Bigger Than Us podcast. I'm your host, Raj Daniels, and today I'd like to welcome Jason Salfi to the show. Jason Salfi is co-founder and CEO of Dimensional Energy, a clean energy company that transforms carbon dioxide into the fuels and products that people use every day. Dimensional Energy's mission is to replace the use of newly extracted fossil carbon from the supply chains for hydrocarbon-based fuels and products and do so in alignment with globally agreed-upon climate justice practices outlined in the United Nations Sustainable Development Goals. Jason, how are you doing today? Great, Raj. Thanks for having me. Jason, thank you for joining. Jason, I've really enjoyed doing research regarding you and dimensional energy. But before we touch on dimensional energy, I want to talk about skateboarding. (laughs) How did I know that was going to come up? I have no idea. You tell me. (laughs) Well, um, a lifelong skateboarder and... um, And in the mid-90s, I started a skateboard manufacturing company called Comet Skateboards. Um, It stemmed from a lot of different interests, actually, Um, you know, beyond just loving skateboard, uh, skateboards, making things and so on. Um, It it really stemmed from my my background in in natural resources management, uh, oddly enough. Um, I I went to Cornell for natural resources management and... um, And actually, my first job out of college was with the Nature Conservancy, uh, replanting a riparian forest in the Kern River Valley, um, basically driving a backhoe and leading volunteers for for days at a time, um, planting cottonwoods and uh, baccarat trees. Um, And um, anyway, I guess, you know, after saving up some money, um, decided to start a company that would you know, help me understand what it was like to run a company that had a focus on sustainability. Um, this was in the nineties, kind of before it was cool to do sustainability in business. Um, but it was, you know, an exploration for me that I thought would just get me ready for grad school and going towards policy and so on. But, you know, 15 years later, um, the adventure, uh, <laughs> just kept a hold of me. So a couple of things, first of all, do you still skateboard? I do. I have a, a bowl in our backyard, actually. <laughs> um, I have to admit, last year, I climbed on a hoverboard for the first time. And I know, I know it's not like a skateboard, but uh, 30 seconds into it, I was flat on my face and I broke my wrist. Oh, no way. Um, yes, ab- absolutely. Gosh, that's, uh, that's, that's pretty rough. What, like hoverboards, those go really fast, don't they? You know... The balance is really strange on a hoverboard. So I, I skateboarded as a kid, but um, hoverboard, just the equilibrium, the back and forth and not side to side, which is very, very different. Uh, yeah, I haven't, uh, I haven't messed around too much with the electric things. Um, I like just kicking down the street, 
going down hills, riding bulls and stuff like that. So you mentioned sustainability back in the 90s when it wasn't popular. What drew you to sustainability? Um, it was the background in natural resources management. Um, you know, I just wanted to explore like why why is it that you know businesses make decisions that don't always care for the environment and people was really the question that was plaguing me. Um, and um, you know, gr- growing up in um, the in Niagara County in, in New York State, saw a lot of pollution, saw a lot of industry that was you know had had torn up some communities, and you know, uh, bear witness to the Love Canal exodus. Um, you know, back in the seventies. And, um, you know, just always ask myself, why, why can't business exist in harmony with nature and community? Um, so I decided to explore that question myself and, you know, being in my, uh, early mid twenties, um, you know, doing it in skateboarding made a lot of sense for me and, and really skateboarding is just like the, uh, you know, you, a skateboard is comprised of, you know, wood, metal, plastics, um, urethanes come from petrochemicals, et cetera. So you really touch into a whole bunch of commodity markets there and you have to develop a really complex supply chain. Um, so it's not just a, a funny toy without Nexus that's global. It's it's actually a really um, interesting area to innovate within. Uh, so the skateboard served as a vehicle for me to explore sustainability. And um, and it was, a, it was a really exciting ride. So we we paired up, um, it was right when, in 97 was when the Forest Stewardship Council just launched. So we used Forest Stewardship Council Woods. Uh, we explored using non-VOC uh, paints and inks and so on. And, um, you know, saw that it was all possible. You just had to have that intention. And um, we could do it in a, in a part of San Francisco where we were that, you know, wove in some like really fun community aspects as, as well. So you kind of posited a question there. Why can't business be in harmony with nature? What's the answer to that question? Um, I think it really comes down to intention and awareness. Luckily, now we're you know we're at a place where we we know that we need to do better, um, and we have all the data and information to do better. Um, so it's just about building awareness and making the right choices. Um, it's completely possible um, to to engineer supply chains and and make things that are uh, that fit into a circular economy, that do things that don't uh, pollute, that don't um, poison communities, et cetera. We just have to have that intention. What about those that might might argue that man has dominion over the land? Um, yeah, that's like a sort of uh, <laughs> a dated paradigm that goes back to, you know, some interpretations of of you know, religious, uh, writings and so on. And I, I don't really, uh, adhere to that myself, you know, being in harmony with nature and looking out, um, you know, at a minimum of seven generations into the future to make sure we do no harm and integrate balance into everything we do is, is more where I'm coming from. And, and you can see that when you do that, you build resilient systems that have a lot more durability in the marketplace. Um, so if you say dig into the data a little bit, you can see that the products and the offerings that are sold with um, seals of approval and third-party verification from organizations like B Corporation have a lot more um, customer loyalty and um, and a lot more resiliency, perform better in the stock market, et cetera. So, you know, you can really see data points that are emerging that, that show that an economy is possible with care for the environment and communities and the bottom line. You know, it sounds like some of what you're saying is a reflection upon today's environment. There's been some pushback recently regarding specifically 
maybe not big corporations, but the ESG movement. You know, Larry Fink is a polarizing figure in that. BlackRock, obviously. What are your thoughts regarding the ESG movement currently, where it is, and perhaps where you see it going? Um, you know, you you um, you know, it's not a monolith, um, and there are companies that uh, are doing good things. So I'd say you know, focus on those who are are doing doing good things and, and adhering to. Um, really ro- robust and durable, um, you know, best practices. Um, you know, there's a lot that can be sort of waved over, you know, um, like, I mean, just take for instance, like, you know, organic food isn't always the best choice, um, even though it's a great label, uh, it's a great frame for, um, things, you know, maybe, <laughs> maybe better off just buying local. Um, you know, so you got to dig into the details and be willing to do a little bit of digging yourself. I guess my thesis on, you know, really getting to a sustainable and nurturing economy is that we need to make it frictionless for people to make good choices about climate, environment, and and social good. Now, you mentioned community earlier, and I've seen this theme in my research regarding climate justice. Can you tell me where where that stems from? How did you become so concerned about climate justice? You know, um, if we just look at this as a technical problem needing a technical solution, um, we'll probably fall short of getting the broad buy-in that we need to get from every person, every citizen who votes, every um, constituency, every politician. Um, and, and you, you know, you may, you just get into sort of like picking winners around technology and, and looking at, you know, and if you're a technology provider, and, and, you know, you make hammers, everything's a nail out there. So what I look at is like, how do you pair the right technology for the right job and do so that in a way that, you know, meets the community needs at a local level? Um, you know, um, Don Lippert from Elemental Accelerator has really done some really outstanding um, vocalization of this, like pairing of, of hard technologies with with communities. Um, because that's what up, uplifts the uh, you know technology making it into the marketplace after all. And so, um, if we look at the deployment of clean energy technologies, for example, um, you know you can say we're going to you know move clean electrons all over the grid. Um, but like, what does that mean? You know, on the ground for people in frontline communities, what that means is you've got less pollution landing on the ground and in the air around. And that's a lot more of an exciting story to get people motivated around, you know, making the, the decision to go in that direction. So we need to like weave in, you know, everybody's interests, not just on, say, the technology side and the clean energy side, but how it influences quality of life. And I appreciate that. But where does it come from for you? Uh, <laughs> where does it come from for me? So um, I think it just comes from a general like compass bearing towards fairness, I guess. Um, I, you know, I kind of, uh, you know, I guess I gravitate towards, um, you know, solutions that are, you know, inclusive. I don't like the idea of being, uh, you know, a single winner. Um, I, I guess like, you know, it, it always just kind of like, I just kind of do the distillation, you know, I would prefer to have, uh, less and be in a community, um, that of everybody that has enough to thrive 
than to just be the one at the top. And so our economy, you know, exists in hierarchies and, um, and you see that the distribution of wealth has been such that, you know, <laughs> we're seeing a lot of people suffer and cities that have big, you know, big gaps in, in wealth and racial wealth gaps aren't doing as well. And, um, and it's just not as pleasant. It's not as nice. It's not as like, it's just, you know, I, I don't know how to, how to really, you know, sum it up in, in, in any other way to say that, you know, in, 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 an, in an environment where everybody's thriving, um, you're going to have a lot better chance of solving big, big problems because you've got a, a lot more of a diverse um, solution set coming, coming out. And I mean, you're really walking your talk on the front page of your website. You have the Jedi Justice, Equity, Diversity and Inclusion Framework right there front and center. How is that? How has that affected how you're growing your company, hiring, fundraising, et cetera? Um, you know, we, we are looking to work with um, funding providers that are aligned. Um, you know, our first big funding provider, we're working on a project with Seneca Holdings right now to put together a, um, a uh, power to liquids plant in um, western New York. Um, it's a First Nation held uh, organization. And, um, you know, our, our goal is to work with them and, uh, you know, generate wealth Um for, for that community through, um, this clean energy investment. And, um, so we're making, you know, making the choice to work with, you know, provide, you know, brilliant financial providers that are, um, representing, uh, you know, communities have been overlooked in the past. And so here it's really exciting because, you know, if the first say hundred years of energy infrastructure development led to the displacement of some indigenous folks, you know, here we have the opportunity to, um, to put them front and center in the, in the winning, uh, of the clean energy rollout. So that's, that's an exciting piece for me. Um, and then, um, you know, personally, um, we always have like work to do, you know, we're not, you know, our hiring practices are coming together. We always strive to have, you know, a diversity of, of folks represented inside of our company. Um, that's always a challenge, but we have the best team in the world right now. That's just doing great work. Um, we look to add to that more in the future. And, um, you know, the Jedi framework seemed like a great one to draw from, like really brilliant people put that together and we're just hoping to, you know, stand on their shoulders. I appreciate you sharing that. Now we've both kind of danced around the company. Can you give an overview of Dimensional Energy, your role at the organization? Yep. So I'm a co-founder and CEO of Dimensional Energy. Um, we started in 2016. Um, some of the technology was spun out of Cornell University and, um, we uh, have 17 people working for the company now. And what does Dimensional Energy do? Um, Dimensional Energy is focused on transforming carbon dioxide into um, sustainable aviation fuel and products, um, displacing the need for newly extracted fossil carbon and, uh, and doing that in a way that um, meets the economic needs of everybody on their daily lives. And from a technical perspective, how do you do that? Um, our our proprietary technology um, handles sort of what's in the middle between really quickly maturing carbon capture technologies and hydrogen production technologies and um, and then downstream fuel synthesis that's been around for for decades. So we're the part in the middle that um, a can integrate all the technologies and b convert that carbon dioxide into what's known as syngas and um, that is a uh, a process that we have a proprietary reactor and catalyst technology for. 
um, and as well as a lot of great uh, expertise around integration. And how do you get your carbon dioxide? Uh, we're working with um, carbon dioxide capture companies. Um, we have a project going on in uh, Vancouver that's coming out soon, um, where Savante, uh, a new carbon capture company, is doing the carbon capture. Um, so we'll take the um, point source captured emissions and then upgrade those into a, uh, a synthetic fuel or product. And so do you co-locate or do you ship the carbon dioxide? So for that project, that'll be a co-location. So we would uh, be on site and go in line. um, So straight from flue gas to carbon capture to the dimensional energy upgrading system, and then um, work with offtake partners uh, from there. Um, There are other uh, opportunities where we would, you know, by rail, we could bring in tanks of carbon dioxide. Um, We could also um, locate near pipelines, um, which more and more pipeline infrastructure is being uh, set in motion. Uh, So it's really, um, you know, it's actually, ironically, there's actually a shortage of carbon dioxide right now in the marketplace. Um, and um, the, the good news is, is the carbon dioxide that we need isn't that beverage grade carbon dioxide. <laughs> it's, it's the stuff that, uh, you know, it's, uh, you know, it can be a little bit impure. I'm laughing because there was a Topo Chico shortage over the summer. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm sad when the beer makers don't have enough carbon dioxide. <laughs> so... I think you mentioned offtake partners or industries. Can you give an example of the industries and the size of those industries? Uh, yeah. So, I mean, it's it's really amazing how much you know how much of an impact you know we can have. So, if you just look at the um, the demand for uh, fuels in the in the aviation uh, long haul trucking and maritime industries, you're looking at she's. 10% of overall global emissions come from that alone. Um, and, um, and we're pairing right now with, um, you know, cement producers um, to use the carbon dioxide from that process, which can, you know, be tied to about 9% of global emissions. So if we take the emissions from one sector of our economy, that's really difficult to decarbonize and apply that towards decarbonizing other difficult to decarbonize sectors, um, you know, we can make a really big dent um, in in overall global emissions. And so, I mean, that's the really hard part. I mean, like when, when we started this company, we looked at, you know, if renewables and efficiency are going to carry most of the day, say 80%, you know, as we look at, say, you know, green electrons making it, making it to the grid and having 100% renewable energy everywhere by 2040, which could be the case, um, what are we going to do with all those molecules? Like, how do we how do we assemble at the base of the pyramid of the fuels and products that still will be needed every day, and um, and make sure those are carbon free or at least in in a use cycle that fits in with a circular economy? Now let's go to starting the company. You had been through an entrepreneurial journey with Comet Skateboards. What drew you? What inspired you to start Dimensional Energy? Um, I was uh, mentoring in a clean energy accelerator. Um, called Nexus New York that was funded by uh, NYSERDA, the New York State Energy Research and Development Authority at the time. So helping, you know, helping researchers bring businesses to market and um, met my co-founders. Um, I'd been doing some research on um, on carbon dioxide utilization. Like I said, looking at that sort of that, mo- that molecule, how do you make green molecules? Um, if you're going to make green electrons, how do we make green molecules? You know, asking that kind of question, saying like, what's going to be really difficult to do? Like, what is not being addressed today? And that's so that's what drew me to the the carbon to value space. Um, and serendipitously, our you know my co-founders applied, um, and then we quickly got funding from the National Science Foundation, uh, the Shell Game Changer program, 
and um, entered the Carbon X Prize. And that Carbon X Prize is a really great accelerating function. So we made it through all three rounds into the Carbon X Prize finals. And um, on the tail end of the Carbon X Prize finals, we ended up with a, a pilot in Gillette, Wyoming, that was in a field. And um, we had this concentrated solar parabolic dish uh, collecting um, about two kilowatts of solar thermal and running a, a reactor that was making syngas right there in the field, completely automated and integrated um, from scratch during COVID, um, which was a huge testament to how brilliant the team at Dimensional Energy is. And um, we realized we had something that worked and, um, you know, we raised a little bit more money, took that uh, reactor tech and then integrated that in a field in Tucson, Arizona. Now where we're doing 24 seven ops and making uh, 20 kilograms of, of fuels a day um, at, at the, at the small scale level. And we're, we're scaling that up every, every day. How was the fundraising process during post and post COVID? Uh, it was amazingly well interconnected, you know, so, I mean, I never thought I could raise millions of dollars from my basement, um, but it happened and um, made the, made the, you know, adapted quickly. Um, uh, you know, it was like kind of great timing. People really saw the need for climate tech. Um, and um, yeah, we were, we have, you know, great investors. Um, United Airlines is one of our investors, um, you know, to put a brand name out there that's really interested in, in sustainable aviation fuel, obviously. And um Yeah, we've had great support so far. What draws you to entrepreneurship? Oh, it's exciting. Um, it's, uh, you know, it's, um, I feel like it's just like, <laughs> it's, it's a natural attraction. Um, it's, it's just fits my, my character. It's an adventure every day, wake up, um, new challenge. Um, and I like solving big problems and, and, you know, you know, decarbonization and, um, thriving economies and making sure that the planet's livable for 9 billion people in the next couple decades is, is an exciting big challenge. And I get to work with brilliant people every day, not just inside of dimensional energy, but you know, all through the climate tech community. It's just a great, great place to innovate within. So with your adventurous soul, what are some of the most valuable lessons you've learned about yourself on your entrepreneurial journey? Um, <laughs> I, I don't, I don't stop. Um, I think that, um, You know, um, I, I tend to, um, you know, I, I put my head down and get work done. Um, and, and what I've been learning most recently is that, um, it's, uh, it's great to like get your head above the weeds and, and take a big look out and, and make sure you're staying on track, but, um, haven't had any major, uh, you know, fails because of that. But, um, you know, something I've learned about myself in reflection is that, um, you know, you put your head down too long, you might develop blind spots and those blind spots could be, uh, you know, for, you know, for all sorts, from all sorts of different angles, whether it's, you know, interactions with people or, uh, or the, you know, proliferation of your technology. So it's always good, just good to keep yourself in check. Now, based on our brief conversation before we started recording, you don't strike me as the, I could be totally wrong, but you don't strike me as the 24-7 hustle culture kind of fellow. So when you say you don't stop, what does that mean? Um, well, I guess I'm, an, I'm excited by the creativity that comes along with entrepreneurship and solving big problems. Um, you know, we're looking to um, not only put, um, you know, a really effective climate tech solution out there to, you know, decarbonize aviation, for example, but we're also looking to do it, you know, you know, with benefit 
to communities. And so I, you know, I think about that stuff at night and I talk about it with my daughter and my wife and, you know, it's, it's like fun conversation, um, for us and it's exciting conversation. And sometimes the, you know, best ideas come out of dreams and, um, but it's, it's not from a workaholic point of view. It's from a holistic, you know, practice towards, you know, uh, you know, having a beginner's mind and address, you know, approaching every day with, you know, a, a mindset towards solving big problems. And it's, it's fun and it's uh, rewarding. Yeah. I don't want to read between the lines, but when you mentioned don't stop, I was thinking along the lines of what you said more from a perseverance perspective than a workaholic perspective. Yeah. Yeah. I appreciate yeah. that. So let's fast forward. It's 2030, 2032, let's say 10 years from now. If the Wall Street Journal, Forbes, Fortune, Fast Company, you name it, your favorite publication, were to perhaps write a headline or a short paragraph regarding dimensional energy, what would you like it to read? Um, company started uh, 20 years ago, has, has now abated several billion tons of carbon dioxide in, in our atmosphere and has applied much of the wealth that it's generated towards building more resilient and uh, happy communities. So uh, not just having like the technical sort of solution roll out and remove carbon dioxide from the atmosphere and putting it into a use cycle, but also creating a more livable, thriving uh, economy and society. You know, again, there's that theme of community and society. There was an interview sometime back where you gave an answer regarding micro lending being a huge asset to communities. How are you currently involved with your local communities from a lending perspective or investment perspective? Um, well, I guess recently, um, well, a couple of years back, we, my wife and I invested in Launch New York, which is a uh, Buffalo-led uh, firm that actually in invested in dimensional energy, um, full circle. But, um, but that um, that fund does a lot of work in Western New York, supporting founders of color and, and women-led companies. Um, and you know, it's a you know really great community asset there. Um, I think that um, I think more and more, it's you know, I like to uh, I like to work with founders who are just getting their um, you know first businesses you know started as well. Just like offer advice and 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 whatnot. Um, you know, mentorship, um, some, you know, war stories, et cetera. Um, but um, yeah, you know, I guess that's, that's one way. So last question is actually focused around advice. I'm going to make it more specific for you. If you were, let's say, giving advice to early stage entrepreneur, what are perhaps one, two, even maybe three things that you would perhaps from your war stories relate to them? <laughs> um <clears throat> So I guess, you know, things that I would share with entrepreneurs, um, yeah, I, I think it's like, you know, kind of comes down to some like really simple lessons, you know, keeping a beginner's mind, always, you know, knowing that you've, you've got a lot to learn. Um, and um, every, every day is a, is a learning adventure. Um, take care of yourself. You know, I mean, you know, that, that old, uh, uh, you know, in the airplanes, it says, put your oxygen mask on first before you help others. Well, if you're, if you're not breathing, you're not, you know, you're not working and getting your job done. So, you know, I, I, I keep a really sound practice of, 
exercising, eating well, meditation and sleeping. Um, you know, I, I, you know, like you asked earlier, um, you know, not stopping doesn't mean that we just work all the time. It, you know, it means we have to take care of ourselves too. Um, and living a holistic life, um, you know, and I, I think that, all, you know, quality of life matters. Um, I, I find that you can be the most productive when you're feeling good um, about what you're doing and you feel true to yourself. Um, so, you know, um, got the advice a long time ago to, you know, be myself because I'm going to be the best at it. And so I share that advice with everybody being yourself, being your true self. Um, you know, you're always winning because you're going to be the best one at being you. <laughs> I like that. And you mentioned it being simple, but you know, sometimes they say like cliche, they're cliches for reasons, right? Yeah. Yeah. You know, I mean, you can give all these sort of, you know, different pieces of advice about how to manage your time or your money or your, you know, resources or your team or whatever. Um, but you know, knowing your team is everything and, and knowing you got to take care of yourself to be a, a good team member is, is really important. Well, Jason, I really appreciate your time today and I look forward to your success with Dimensional Energy and catching up with you again soon. All right. Thanks a lot. Nice. Thank you. All right. Thank you for listening. If you like our show, please give us a rating and review on iTunes. And you can show your support by sharing our show with a friend or reach out to us on social media where you'll find us under our Nexus PMG handle. If there's a subject or topic you'd like to hear about, send me an email, btu at nexuspmg.com or contact me via our website, nexuspmg.com. And while you're there, you can sign up for our monthly newsletter where we share what we're reading and thinking about in the clean tech, green tech sectors. Bigger Than Us is a Nexus PMG production.